0: our text this morning, I want us to think about why this book is one of refreshment. Ruth was written in an era after the death of Joshua and before the crowning of King Saul. Known as the time when judges ruled, this would have been a period of about 300 years. Now, instead of being political rulers, these judges were more like military chieftains who served as local leaders meant to protect the people from foreign oppression. At the end of the book of Judges, we read these words. You good? All right. Sorry, we have a new clicker, and it's very, very sensitive. All right. In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. Now let's stop and think about that for a minute. What's right to some people is very different than what is right to others. So, as we might imagine, this led to social upheaval and much misery. It was a frightening season marked by lawlessness and rebellion against God and civil war. You see, there is no central figure. There's no Moses. There's no king. And so chaos ruled the day. God raised up key people in this time, which would help for a while, and then things would regress. This book has some of the most disturbing scenes found in all of Scripture. Now, the book of Judges is not chronological, but rather it shows a picture of God's people living in a cyclical pattern of idolatry and judgment, repentance, and then them choosing themselves over the Lord again. It's a macro view of what is happening in those years. So by contrast, Ruth shows us individuals who lived in the last part of that era of the judges whose efforts to do right gives us a view of obedience in those dark times. According to Jewish tradition, the prophet Samuel wrote the book of Ruth, although there is no indication of this, nor do we know exactly when it was penned. Whoever wrote it, knew how to weave a good story, keeping the interest of the reader. So throughout our six weeks in this book, we're going to explore some really good themes which are transferable to all of humanity. We're going to look at relationships and how they sustain us. We're going to talk about the nature of family. We're going to look at views of mercy and loving kindness, the providence of God, redemption, and obedience. So hear the word of the Lord from Ruth 1, 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Maulon and Kilion. They were Ephraphatite from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The names of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Maulon and Kilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Let us pray. Lord, you are among us today. Would you teach us, would we be receptive, Lord, to your Holy Spirit? We humbly come before you, thanking you, God, that all of your word is so useful and so important for the purpose that you have it, to teach us, God, about you and ourselves. Amen. So as we see, this book begins with much loss. In a bleak time of history for the Jewish people, a family finds itself in transition. Ironically, Bethlehem means house of bread. But there was not enough food for Elimelech's household, so they move 50 miles to the southeast across from what we know today as the Dead Sea. There's so much that we don't know. Was this move initiated by the Lord? Are they just trying to survive? Did they leave because they didn't trust God? Why Moab? Were they settled was a pretty fertile place. They would have been complete foreigners, we have to remember. The NIV says that they went to live for a while there, not intending to make it permanent. And we think to ourselves, this couldn't have been easy. Few of us like moving. When it's a forced decision, it makes the change harder, sometimes intolerable. We live in a time of unprecedented number of refugees around the world most of them fleeing because to stay where they are means death. It is a grief to leave one's home, community, culture, and lives for whatever reason. Here, it was because they needed to eat. Of all of the places that they could go, Moab was an interesting choice. They were not exactly enemies, But they were pagan worshipers whose king had forced Israel into servitude for 18 years in the early days of the judges. So it's not exactly a place of peace for them either. Another grief is that Elimelech dies. No reason is listed, but he is far from home. And because of this, he is buried on foreign soil. At this point, the family stays put and the sons marry Moabite women. This was actually allowed by Mosaic law, even though the Moabites don't worship Yahweh. Their god is named Chemosh, and human sacrifices are part of their ritual. Again, a strange choice. But remember, we are in the time of judges, and anything goes. We don't know what their lives in Moab were like. After 10 years of being there, the sons also die. Now, the writer who I said was engaging to the reader isn't so much right here in this part. Maybe because um, this is meant to set the scene and not be the main point. Maybe they're just trying to get past the hard stuff to get to the good stuff. There's a choppiness here that feels like a disconnect to me. But this is the third grief in eight verses. And it is the last sentence that we want to hone in on for just a minute. Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. She is alone. They have certainly died before their time. Where there was once a family of four, now she is left with a huge void. So I want to stop and consider her plight for a moment. Because they left Bethlehem, she is far from any support. Her sons, on whom she would have depended for her livelihood, are gone. They have no children, so she has no grandchildren to delight in, and that means there is no one to carry on the family line. How will she survive? Thus begins the book of Ruth, that I said was a source of refreshment in the time of Judges. We know that there will be happy times down the road, but not in these verses. Here we feel the impact of the loss that would have been tragic for Naomi. I read a story this week about a mother in our country who lost two sons the same night due to drug overdose. The paramedics came to help one and ended taking both young men to the morgue. She said she could barely understand what was happening because the shock was so unbelievably hard to absorb. Two sons gone in a short time span is a deep sorrow. Hear how one scholar frames the beginning of Ruth. The narrator has sketched the gloomy, hopeless setting for this tale, driven from her homeland by famine, Cruelly robbed of loved ones by death, a lonely old widow sits abandoned in a foreign land. In this way, she is not unlike Job. But this book begins with what we understand to be true in life. We start out and things might be happy and hopeful and good, And in the middle of our story, when things are maybe going fine, there is a sudden move that we didn't plan on. Maybe a move physically, maybe a job change, just something has changed, and now we are moved on. We make choices then that have consequences. There is death. There is tragedy. And we can find ourselves in quite a different place than where we started, maybe even with people like Naomi, that she did not choose. And because our story is not over yet, we can't predict what will happen. We can't even be able to move forward sometimes with these kinds of loss. And in seasons like this, faith can be elusive, and we can feel hopeless, and where is God? Today, I invite you to bring the pain of loss to the altar. Communion is a gift we have received as those who put their trust in Christ. Communion is a concrete reminder that he has borne our sorrows and he meets us in our grief. He was with Naomi in the bitter tears that she cried, providing solace and a new plan that she could not quite yet see. So I invite you to come to the table of the Lord Almighty today, acknowledging the losses that you have endured. Our griefs are part of who we are. Our personal griefs change the trajectory of our lives. The sorrows which come from living in a dark and broken world. The sin we cannot hide or erase. The sadnesses which drive us to make life better. Grief changes us. It becomes part of the mosaic of who we are. And God always brings newness out of our pain, but sometimes we just need to sit with him and acknowledge it and look at the pain that we have had and what it is that we are carrying now into the house of God. Christ's resurrection means that we are not destroyed by our sorrows or the wrongs we have done, We live in the power of the risen Lord, who has taken the brunt of our pain onto his very own body. He meets us in our sorrow, and we meet him in his. And along the way, we understand that they're the same sorrow. This is a profound truth that is unique to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. The scriptural liturgy that we read today includes the Beatitudes, where Jesus reminds us how God acts for those who have experienced loss. There is comfort for those who mourn and provision for those who are hungry. The kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit, and those who seek peace are God's true children. So today, may you find true refreshment... That comes from the comfort of knowing Christ. May he bring insight and healing to our souls as we partake of his body and blood that makes us one with our Savior. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.